0: You may have noticed in the worship that uh, it was Trinitarian. The call to worship was Trinitarian. And this morning we're going to consider the vast subject of the Trinity. So uh, I lost my watch. And that's probably a sign from the Lord that I can preach till four o'clock this afternoon. (laughs) Uh, When I confessed my sins and came to Christ in repentance on October 13th, 1959, God gave me such a deep longing to know him and an insatiable thirst to find him. Whenever any church in our small town of 5,000 had some event going on, uh, I was there. The Catholic Church had an open house, and I went and asked lots of questions. The Pentecostals had a revival, and I was there. Wherever people were talking and handing out literature, I stopped and inquired with curiosity. I met Mormon missionaries and talked with them. A couple of Jehovah's Witnesses came by, and I listened. And I began to accumulate all their literature and read it and began to study it. We had a shortwave radio program coming out of Mozambique and they ran religious stuff every night and I tuned my radio to it and I listened to people like Herbert W. Armstrong of the Worldwide Church of God. I wrote in for their literature and it was sent to me from Pasadena in California And in this, I came across all the different views of the Trinity. And to say the least, I was confused. When I talked to people, there were so many differing ideas. All these sects and cults that I mentioned denied a Trinity. And so what I did was I set aside all the human authored books and said, I will just study the Bible. By this time, I'd bought myself a Concordance, sort of the modern version of Google. It's a little bit more painstaking, but you get the same results after about two hours. And I read all the verses in the Bible relating to the Father, to God, to the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in about six months, I came up with essentially the same matrix that is printed in your bulletin. Uh, we're not going to work through this, but you can work through it. There's your Google result on the Trinity, and what you discover in it that there were three, that there are three distinct persons in the Bible—Father, Son, and Holy Spirit—and that all three of them are involved in things like calling, creation, resurrection, indwelling. All three are everywhere. All three are all-knowing. All three sanctify. And so when a Jehovah's Witness challenged me and said, Here's a Bible, find the word Trinity in the Bible. Well, I went home and got out my concordance and I was looking forward to finding the word Trinity. And of course, it's not in the Bible. It's a word that was coined during the course of Christian history in order to encapsulate. The hugeness of God in a simple word, which is not simple, but in order for us to have just one word to capture the grandness of the Godhead. Therefore, the doctrine is arrived at by looking at the whole scripture. There is only one God, but there are three distinct persons The final challenge that was flung in my face almost with a sense of uh, victory was, well, if you take one plus one plus one, it equals three. You must be worshipping three gods. And I replied, you're making a very simple mistake. They are of one and the same unique essence. And so it should read one times one times one. And the answer, of course, is one. This diagram may help you. It's helped me a great deal throughout my Christian experience, and you are no doubt familiar with it. It shows the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in distinction from one another. The Father is not the Son and is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father and is not the Son, but all three are In essence, one, they are essentially God. So to maintain the biblical balance, you've got to do two things. You must never confuse the persons in the Trinity. Make sure you never do that. And never deny the essence or the divinity of each of the persons in the Trinity. A triumphant Jehovah's Witness tried to trump me and he said, well, if Jesus is God, who was running things while he was dead? Of course, the answer is very simple. He was confusing the persons. The Father and the Holy Spirit did not die. And they were fully representative of Jesus in the, in the issue. Well, spiritual truth then invites us into paradox. Uh, Remember that a paradox is setting seemingly contradicting truths in a relationship that invites us into a journey of discovery. Uh, Here's a fantastic example of a paradox from Mother Teresa. I have found, she said in her humble Polish accent, that the paradox... That if you love until it hurts, there can be no more hurt, only love. The statement takes you beyond an academic definition of love and the pain of love. It contradicts our instinctive notion that love and pain should separate like oil and water. It invites you to experience pain and love to the magnificent conclusion that love conquers pain, yet pain is essential to the discovery of genuine love. You still find your mind swirling? Yes, mind swirls, but there's something else that's happened in my heart and that is a glad embrace of pain in order to enrich love. And so there is a metaphor at the heart of the universe, a paradox at the heart of the universe, and that metaphor that we looked at, the triangle, there is a much better one. And we are invited into discoveries that eye has not seen. The Apostle Paul says, no ear has heard the discovery you will make when the Trinity invites you to the dance. There is no imagination that can enter into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. And so we go from a sort of academic and philosophical and theological definition of the Trinity into this metaphor of the atom. The basic building block of the universe is this atom And here are the particles in the atom. And what a wonderful metaphor for the Trinity this is. There is a a nucleus which is made up of positively charged protons and neutral neutrons. And in a dance around the nucleus are the negatively charged electrons. Isn't that interesting that that's the basic building block of the universe and it expounds the trinity? Every cell in your body starts from this basic place. There are variations of protons and electrons and so on, but basically that is... Every atom in your body, every atom in the universe, the sun is made up of atoms with this basic structure, and it's all a electrical dance. <laughs> Rather astonishing. And for those who know something about uh, fractals, this will, this will really set your imagination racing, but I'm not going to go there this morning. Now, at the stellar level, the universe is a Broadway show. I mean, here's a delightful depiction of our solar system and the dance around the sun is quite breathtaking. Here's another one taken from the Hubble Space Telescope showing a small foreground galaxy against the backdrop of a larger galaxy both floating in a sea of twinkling lights. So from the subatomic level within your own body to the stellar level, and this has taken uh, some 700 million light years away, I believe, it leads to the most astonishing dance of all, and that is the relationship of the Trinity being described as a dance. I'm thankful to a sermon and book by Tim Keller who made me aware of these two quotes and fired my imagination for this sermon. Got to do that so that you know I'm not plagiarizing. You know, that's such a big thing these days. should listen to Solomon. There's nothing new under the sun. But anyway, let's not get distracted. This is what C.S. Lewis says. In Christianity, God is not static. But dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a dance. And the theologian uh, Cornelius Plantinga says, The persons within God exalt each other. Commune with each other, defer to one another. Each divine person harbors the others at the center of his being. In constant movement of overture and acceptance, each person envelops and encircles the others. God's interior life, therefore, overflows with regard for the others. And John Simon, who wrote a newsletter, we'd call it a blog these days, called Servants Among the Poor, says this. Within the very nature of God is a divine rhythm or pattern of continuous giving and receiving. Not only love, but also glory, honor, life. Each in its fullness. Think about it for a minute. God the Father loves and delights in the Son. Jesus receives that love and pleases his Father as an obedient and loving Son. While the Spirit glorifies both the Father and the Son. Each person in the Trinity loves, honors Glorifies the other and receives love and honor and glory back from the others because he is worthy. There is never any lack. Now, the astonishing thing is that we are invited into this Trinitarian dance. So hear the word of Jesus from John chapter 17. He's praying his high priestly prayer and expounding in his prayer the will of God for the called or the church. He says, I do not ask for these, that is the apostles only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they... And you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me even though the world does not know you. I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Well, that's not just an invitation. It's actually an explanation, isn't it? It's describing Green Tree Church. That's actually describing you in your community group. That's actually describing your marriage. That's describing the men's pig roast. It's describing the women's teaching ministry and the fellowship that they have in their groups and all the things they arrange. But it's also an invitation because it's inviting us to understand and to celebrate and enjoy the dance. Now, of course, we feel hesitant. Who am I that I should join the Trinity in their dance? And I may well ask this question. If God is an in an eternally satisfying dance, why in the heavens would he be interested in me? You see, if I'm comfortable and completely happy on a perfect island, why invite some slum dogs from the ghettos of Mumbai To invade. To use a popular movie as a metaphor. They're going to wreck my perfect island. Well, think of it in this way. For the creation, you just need one. I can go into my workshop and work away and create something on my own. But for there to be love, there need to be two people. And so I won't experience love in the workshop. I'll go into the living room and sit down next to my wife. And for there to be joy, you need three. So when the two of us are having joy in each other, we want to share it. And so we go look for someone to share our joy with. And the answer is then that God invites us in because his love is not self-centered. Any self-centered love is pure narcissism. An ugly word with ugly connotations and with ego brimming and invading and manipulating. But that's not the love of God. And so the Trinity, seeking to spark the love and the joy between the persons of the Godhead, extends the invitation and says to the slum dogs, Come along, come and join, so that you too may hear joy. Now if you were listening carefully to the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, you will have picked up the idea of glory. Father, you have given me your glory, and I'm going to share your glory with them. And glory then enters the picture. Uh, In our worship this morning, we sang a lot about the holiness of God, and holiness and glory are linked together in this way, that the glory of God, the holiness of God, is seen in the shining of his attributes so that the glory of his holiness becomes observable. You're saying, holy, holy, holy. Do you you even think, gee, what does that actually mean? Well, it means that the attributes of God will shine in such a way that God's magnificence will become radiant, and we will experience the full spectrum of his being. So here's a, a way to look, a bit, look at it. Here is the spectrum of visible light. It's not a very clear slide, and I apologize for that. Um, I got it off missionscience.nasa.government, so blame them. <laughs> you have the seven colors of the rainbow in the spectrum of visible light. Each color is adding glory to the sun's radiance. And when we expose the attributes of God as rays of his glory, we would come up with things like his eternality, his mercy, goodness, and I've highlighted the important ones for us this morning, his mercy, his goodness, his grace, and his love. Each of these then illuminate not just our ignorance, but draw us into his radiance. And when God says, I want to show my glory to the world, he wants to show the world things like his mercy, his goodness, his grace, and his love. And what's the best way of doing that? Well, let's invite some slum dogs in here and let's give them mercy, goodness, grace, And love. And that is why you are invited into the dance, because we link arms with the Trinity, and now we begin to exalt His glory as we also learn the dance steps of mercy and goodness and grace and love and exercise those things with one another. Glory is given to the Trinity and to the Godhead. Now we naturally shrink even from this invitation because, well, you know, it's a tuxedo event and all I have is rags. There must be a protocol. If you go to Buckingham Palace, they give you a two-hour tutorial I believe even the White House, a two-hour tutorial in where to stand, where not to stand, what not to say, and don't hug the queen. And then there is my sin, my sin in the place of perfection. Isn't that going to destroy the perfection of the whole thing? And there's likely to be a security guard barring the way and throwing me out. Now here's the remarkable thing. God answers all those objections by phrasing the invitation in the form of a benediction. And here are the words that come to us. And these are words from 2 Corinthians, the Corinthian church being a church in deep trouble. There was fighting and bickering and immorality and heresy and anything you can name that you dread in a church, the Corinthian church had it in full measure and flowing over. And the apostle ends his second letter to this messed up church. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now that's worth reading in the Amplified Bible, give a little bit better flavor and extend it a little bit. And so it reads, The grace, favor, and spiritual blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the presence and fellowship The communion and sharing together and participation in the Holy Spirit be with you all. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, join hands and extend the invitation. Grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace leads the way. It provides for the beggar. It is the coin in the cup of the beggar. And of course what Jesus throws into our cup is an unimaginable fortune and inheritance. And love, well, love sits down next to the beggar and embraces the beggar and actually starts listening to the beggar and tries to problem solve with the beggar and lifts the beggar out of his beggardom and into the kingdom. And that's only leading the way for the third aspect of the invitation and that is the fellowship. The Greek word koinonia being a, a, a word of magnificent grandiosity. Uh, the Amplified Bible extends it by saying communion and sharing and participation. It's a word inviting you into the interior of some place. And so the fellowship Lifts the gutter, lifts the beggar who's got grace in his cup and the embrace of love around his shoulder and says, Why don't you come home with me? And when you go home with the Trinity, you get your own room in the mansion. They make space for you at the table. The grace and the love and the fellowship continue as an ongoing dance, and we don't think about our Christian experience in those terms. And I would say that's partly, for me anyway, my own thick skull. These things are hard to penetrate, but I need to think them and rethink them and digest them and make them mine so that I understand I'm not alone in this world. Even if I was in solitary confinement, I would not be alone, because I'm dancing in the stars. And when I'm sad, there's a sad dance that the Holy Trinity invites you to. And they know sadness. The sadness of the suffering of this world weighs heavy on the heart of God so that he sent his son to deal with it. Lonely. Jesus says, they all forsook me and fled. The cross was the loneliest place in the universe. Even the father turned his face away in that moment. Betrayed. Well, Judas kissed me and it was a kiss of betrayal frustrated, well I worked with these fishermen and they never seemed to get the message guilty, I've dealt with your guilt there is a redeemer Jesus, God's own son powerless, the Holy Spirit is the power of God unto salvation, indifferent come on, come in anyway Jesus reaching out for you And so the implication is that there is an RSVP to this invite. It's been in your inbox for a long time, and you've just been ignoring it. And one of the things you say, yes, but you see it's easy for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to dance together because they're perfect, and so they never irritate each other. Man, I can't tell you how much my wife, Now, this is made up, (laughs) eh? Some are saying this. My wife irritates me. There are people and things in Greentree Church that irritate me, so I don't want to dance. And we allow the irritation to envelop the relationship and become our identity so that we are irritated people. When you look in the mirror, you see irritation. You know what that looks like for yourself. I know what it looks like in my face, but uh, you know your own face. And so let me take this down to the very most practical level I can. There are times when our lead pastor, Tom Ricks, irritates me. What's that? What do you say? No, no, I'm not going to tell you. I'll tell him. (laughs) Certain things I would do very differently if I were the lead pastor. And there are times when I irritate him. I guarantee it. But you see, the glory of the gospel shines in our relationship and I know he extends to me the courtesy of grace and he does embrace me with love. And we do have an intimate communion with one another. We honor each other in Christ. We delight in each other's gifts. He has worked his tail off to find us, find us a permanent home in Kirkwood. And I look at him and his calendar and observe he's coming and going and how he's not available and all of that. And I'm just astonished with amazement. How could anybody enjoy doing that? And I know that he looks at me when I'm delighted with going to the hospital and come home energized and full of joy and what that's done to me. And he looks at that and says, what's the matter with you? For you see... The dance of the Trinity invites us to enjoy each other's differences and giftedness and honor God in them and say to God, this is part of the richness of the Trinitarian dance. And so my irritation is swallowed up by the joy of the gifts of the congregation. The Father loses himself in the sacrifice of the Son. The Holy Spirit does not testify of himself, but of the Father and of the Son. And the Son says to the Father, I delight to do your will. And so, dear friend, with all the gentleness of God's great merciful heart, take the things that irritate you in your home in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your church, and let the gospel glory shine like the warming rays of spring on that frigid zone of irritation. Extend forgiveness. Take delight in the fantastic love this congregation offers. Experience the joy of inviting people into the dance. Going the second mile in reconciling with everybody who offends you. And then let's see the truth of the prayer of Jesus. The world will know. That you sent me, because the world will see the Trinitarian dance in action before their very eyes. So here is the closing paradox The glory of God shines brightest when sinners link arms with other sinners. Now the world begins to believe. I'm going to give you a moment to pray in quietness. First thing you will want to do is say thank you, O my Father, for inviting me through your Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit into this dance. Maybe you've never accepted the invitation and you'll do it right now, this morning at Thanksgiving. And then repent over your irritation, repent over your critical spirit, and finally in your quiet time of prayer, receive the grace and the love and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So let us all pray together.